Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Welcome to Rugged Radio. I don't know what's going on, but that song is supposed to continue to play, so we're going to have to try that one again. I am your host. This is Doug. We have a great show lined up tonight. We have the Moogster, Moogie Klingman, on. He just informed me it'll be a few minutes before he calls in, which is not a problem. We have plenty of announcements to make, etc. But before we do that, I'm going to see if we can get this song to work for you, because I did want you to hear it, and then we will get back to business. All right, well... We're going to move on because I'm having a little trouble with that. And we're going to talk about Todd Touring. It starts this Sunday in Dallas, Texas. If you are not aware of this situation, looking forward to that. I will be there. I'll be there with a big crew, lots of people from the trconnection.com site, probably some folks from the Hot Toddies Rundgren site. It's all good. Come check us out at Dallas. If you're not going to be there, you can see the rest of the shows There'll be one in Austin two nights later. There's going to be one in New Orleans on that Wednesday. So lots of shows. They keep moving on through December. Several shows. If you want to find out about them, the best place to do that is trconnection.com. Just go to the concert and tour information, and you'll be in good shape. If you want to call in tonight and talk to Moogie, the number is 646-716-9262. Be sure to give us a call later on when he is on. We'll be happy to talk to you. Not a problem. That should be pretty fun. Let me tell you a little bit about the future guests that we have on the show and the future show that we have with no guests except for fans, which is going to be, well, I say that. That could change. You don't know what will happen when you're at a Todd concert. You never know who you're going to run into or who you might see. But live from Dallas, it looks like it's going to work out December the 2nd. I've got 7.30 on the site. I believe I may bump that to 7 o'clock. We're going to try to do a live show where we'll be talking to fans. We'll be reviewing the merchandise counter in exhaustive detail so you'll know what's there and what it looks like. We will be chasing band members. We will be chasing fans. We're just going to try to make you a part of this concert if you live on the West Coast or, well, East Coast, wherever it is you are and you can't make this show. We want you to be at least a little bit of a part of this show, and we are going to hopefully play a song or two even. Give us a chance. Can't promise you anything. Don't know what my cell phone coverage is going to be like there. We're working on some details with the venue, but things are looking up. They're looking good. Grady Motes has helped me out with some microphone action, which would make it very nice, loud and clear, which loudandclean.com is his site, I believe. Not loud and clear, but loud and clean. They are helping us out. should be some fun. After that, we have Chris Anderson is going to be a guest on the 12th of December. And then we also have Tony Levin, bass guitar player. That's on 1219. That one's at 8 o'clock Eastern. Chris Anderson, I'm sorry, that's at 9 o'clock Eastern. Chris Anderson is going to be at 8 o'clock Eastern. So those are some upcoming shows. And then we move into January. We already have something scheduled for you to start the new year off right. 
We have Lyle Workman on January the 8th. That will be at 9 p.m. Eastern. And we are going to schedule something with Willie Wilcox as well. We haven't booked that yet, but he is committed to doing something with us in January when he returns to the States from Mexico. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have yet another Utopia person hanging out with us. Can't get much better than that, can it? So let's take a look at some other information. We talked about merchandise last time on the show, and we talked about it possibly being out yesterday, Cyber Monday. Uh, turned out that did not work out. There were some issues with getting the website ready, and, you know, that kind of stuff happens. They're going to put it on tr-i.com, and if you have been to that site, then you know it is a flash animation site. So in order to change all that and get a store up, and they're, you know, they're, they're going to have to do a lot of work. So they have somebody doing that. They're working on it. So hopefully that will happen soon. They're looking at possibly next week. That's the new estimated time. So cut them some slack. They're trying hard, but don't worry about it because I'm going to be able to tell you a lot about the merchandise at the Dallas show. Hopefully if that show pans out where we get to do it live, you will get to hear the good scoop if we don't do a show then, maybe we can do one that week where we can talk about the show and some of the merchandise. So just check the site, rungrenradio.com. Check the other avenues, our MySpace page, myspace.com backslash Radio. Check Hot Toddies. Check it all. You can figure it out when we're going to add a show if we need to because something doesn't work out in Dallas. But give us a try Sunday night. Hopefully that pans out. All right, we've got another great, exciting announcement for you. There is a T-shirt that we have designed for the tour for Texas for the two shows. It's going to have Rungren Radio on the back, which is most important to me, not most important to you. What's most important to you is the front, which is a unbelievable, beautiful artwork design that I received today. I have posted a picture on trconnection.com on the website on the forum under the Rungren Radio subforum. So go check it out. You definitely want to see this shirt. It is gorgeous. We'll have it up on the MySpace page soon. I'm sure EJ will be kind enough to put it on Hot Toddies soon. And I will try to get it actually on RungerRadio.com. So we're going to have that out for you, and it is really good looking. It's a nice looking shirt. So check it out. Moogie, who I'm hoping to talk to about this, has a concert scheduled December the 7th at the Triad Theater in Manhattan. I can't wait to ask him about it because it's Pearl Harbor Day and it's going to be war songs and anti-war songs. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting concert, I'm sure. Probably very amusing. And uh, I guess whatever side you're on, pro-war or anti-war, you're going to be somewhat satisfied with the concert. Maybe remind you of the half-twisted half shows that Todd used to do. If you're a ballad fan, you got your thrill. If you're a rock fan, you got your thrill. And if you like both, you got your thrill. So it's all good. Let me play a clip for you right quick. This one I was looking for. This is what was supposed to start the show. This song is Dust in the Wind. It's just a little minute clip of it. It's from Something Anything, one of Todd's more popular albums, if you didn't know. And Moogie was very instrumental and helpful in this song. Here we go. Coming at you. Tell everyone that I am sorry, truly sorry For all of the wrongs I've done I never 
never meant to hurt nobody, no Lord, I never want to do no wrong All right, folks, that was Dust in the Wind, as we mentioned. I believe Moogie played a role in that. Am I correct, Moogie Klingman? Yeah, I wrote the song. Beautiful. It's a beautiful song. It's the only song Todd ever recorded that he didn't write as a solo act right up to that point. That was the first time he ever recorded an outside song. Something, anything, Dust in the Wind. Great album, great song. Written by Moogie. And, and uh, Axel Rose is doing it now with... Uh, Guns N' Roses, and he plays piano and he sings it. And they got it on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and type in Dust in the Wind or Axl Rose or Guns N' Roses, you should get it to come up. That's awesome. Now, did, they, they haven't recorded on a CD yet, though, right? Well, I know. They're still working on Chinese democracy for how many years now? 15 years? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they recorded it and discarded it. Who knows? Uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, so is that you in the song when when he goes here we go and somebody says something is that you? Yeah, it's me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's my band too. Uh, like um, when I play with Todd, I also contracted all the musicians and I generally use the band that I was playing with. You know, the Utopia was all my band. Uh, something, anything. It's the cuts I'm on. That's those are my musicians essentially. You know. Um, John Simon's on drums, Stu Woods and John Siegler. These guys are all in bands with me. I got them all on these dates. Uh, Rick Downinger I brought down, and like Todd hadn't met Rick until I put him on some of Todd's dates. So uh, he's playing guitar on Dustin the Wind. That's uh, the late Mike Brecker on saxophone mm. on Dustin the Wind. Uh, he was considered the number one sax player in the country or the world. He had won 15 Grammys. And died quite suddenly about six months ago. Six months ago, fifteen Grammys, huh? Wow. Yeah, he won. He won like three or four for his last album right before he died. Yeah, I think he was like fifty-seven or something. Yeah. Had some strange disease that he was fighting for a few years. There was a curse on um, the musicians on "Hello, It's Me." uh, That half of them have died rather early. Um, You have John Simon on drums. On Hello, It's Me. He died quite suddenly two years ago. He was in the fire department in New York City, and he died of a drug OD. Uh, of course, you have Mike Brecker, who played... Uh, the, uh, he also played on Hello, It's Me. So the same band that played on Hello, It's Me played on Dust in the Wind and played on uh, Really Left Me Saw, I think, those three cuts. We did them all in one day on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. A triple scale. He had to pay not double, but triple scale because he was working on a Sunday. So I, I, I made tremendous amounts of money contracting the date as well as playing on it. I don't think I ever made any more money 
for for doing one day in the recording studio than that. You know, that was it. That was 1971. <laughs> but I made a lot of money, man. And they all did. You know, Todd was having Wallace pick up the bill. He didn't care about money. Uh, and, I mean, it wasn't that we were charging. It was just a union date. So I was in the union at the time. So, um, so you got Mike Brooker. And also the people that have died also became successes, huge successes before their death. Mike Brooker became the top sax player in jazz just about in the world. And Johnny Siamis was the drummer not only in Moogie and the Rhythm Kings, but he went on the Frampton's Camel. And then the Peter Frampton then, and Frampton comes alive. Siamis was the drummer for Peter Frampton when he had all his platinum albums with his trio in the 70s. That was Johnny Siamis on drums. So he had this tremendous success, and then he kind of got screwed by Frampton and left the music business and became a member of the New York Fire Department and never told anybody he had ever been a drummer. <laughs> well, what do you kind mean he got screwed by story. Frampton? What exactly huh? happened there? What do you mean he got screwed by Frampton? What happened? Uh, well, it was a band. It was called Frampton's Camel. It was supposed to split all the money three ways. He said they stole the contract out of his uh, hotel room or something. Mm -hmm. You know, because Frampton's Camel became... Frampton Comes Alive became the largest selling album of all time. Sure. And uh, Samus didn't get paid for it because uh, they had, they had uh, destroyed the contract or it was supposed to get an equal split. So he was pretty upset and pretty bitter. And I think he turned to drugs in a heavy way at that point. And then when he left Frampton, um, Frampton's record stopped selling immediately. He, like They were all platinum and gold while John Samus was in the drum seat. And then the day he quit, Frampton never made the top 100 ever again in his life. The guy's still trying. I saw him in a Geico commercial yesterday. Yeah, and, and I bet he's still good, and, and I'm sure he feels he has good feelings. In fact, I heard that a few years ago that Frampton tried to put the original group back together uh, with John and the bass player and the keyboard player. Wow. And John refused. This is a rumor. But what's not a rumor is that the piano player, from, uh, and I forget the guy's name, maybe you know it, the piano player that worked with Frampton on Frampton Comes Alive and, and played with Frampton on and off for the rest of his life, died a few months after John. Like, they almost died back to back. And he was on tour with Frampton at the time he died, so Frampton heard about Johnny dying. And then he's on tour, and the keyboard player that was in the band with Johnny that was still with him, suddenly he dies, you know, oh. so... Uh, I didn't get the gig, though. I don't know how to get a hold of Frampton, so I couldn't apply as piano player for Peter Frampton. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a sad thing the way so many rock deaths. So I mean, what happened yesterday? The guy from Quiet Riot died. Right, he was fifty-two years old. Oh, is that right? Which one? The uh, the lead singer. Really? You didn't see this? Yeah, it's a big no. story. They found him dead in his house. Fifty-two, Quiet Riot. Uh, I mean, I could go look it in the paper, but so so getting back to the curse on on the hello, it's me, is okay. You have half the people on that dead at a fairly young age. Vicky Sue Robinson sang background. I got her on background on hello, it's me, and then she had a number one hit a few years later called Turn the Beat Around. Remember that disco record? Oh yeah. Turn the beat around, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I do know that one. <laughs> yeah, well, she died of cancer uh, in her 40s about 15 years ago. You know? wow. so, 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 so they all had this moment where they were the top acts in the music business after recording on How Long It's Me. That was three. Well, who else was on that record? I'm trying to think. Barry Rogers, that's four. 
He was the sax player. He was the trombone player on Hello, It's Me. And he was the number one trombone player in Latin music. This white guy named Barry Rogers played with the biggest names in Latin music, Eddie Palmieri and all kinds of people. And he was just huge in Latin. He was the number one trombone player in Latin music. He always, he was already like he had just, he was just a huge success as a Latin, even though he played rock, he played jazz. He, he was just this great musician and he was close with the Brecker brothers, you know, Mike and, and Randy. And he died suddenly um, in his 50s of something. I'm not sure what it was, some strange disease or cancer. I don't know. So you have those four. You have Siomis, who was the number one drummer in rock in the 70s, dying suddenly a few years back. Uh, Mike Brecker, the number one uh, sax player pretty much for the last 20 years, uh, winning Grammys, being on everyone's records, and being a big solo artist, dying uh Barry Rogers, the number one trombone player. Luke, Robinson, who has this number one record. Well, so hopefully the curse doesn't apply to all of us who haven't been number one. I was going to say, you get a little nervous, man. you got a lot of connections, a lot of people. Well, the, 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 other, the other background singer that I hired named Richard Corey, who was on that record yeah. uh, a few months ago, just got brain cancer and, and, and lung cancer, and he's fighting it. He's, uh, he's getting chemo now, so... Mm. At least he hit 60. Richard Corey hit 60. So that's like it's getting up there. The others died in their 40s and 50s. Hopefully he'll beat it back, but I don't know, you know. So who, who, at least me and Todd and Randy Brecker, the trumpet player, was on the date. And who else was on the date? Uh, Rick Derringer. Mm-hmm. No, it was actually Rick Derringer wasn't on Hello, It's Me. He was a, this friend of mine, Robbie Kogel, was on... Uh, Hello, it's me. Robbie Kogel was this kid from my high school who lived on the corner and was always crazy. And, and when I couldn't get another guitar player, I called him, and, and Robbie Kogel played. Basically, Robbie Kogel and Richard Corey were from my hometown, Great Nick, and they were friends that dabbled in music. But Tyler needed all these people on a Sunday morning. And, you know, I had to have three or four singers and four horns and guitar. So I got Robbie Coco on a date. And the only record date he ever did in his life, he he was number one. Hello, it's me, or number two, whatever it was, you know. Yeah. And he never did another record date. But he's still around. He's just not in great shape. He's on, like, a lot of psychotropics. And he doesn't function too well. Um, well he's not very coherent, you? Robbie Coco. He calls me, unfortunately, about once a week uh-huh. for the last 20 years. Yeah. And said really weird things to me on the telephone <laughs> that aren't coherent, you know. Yeah. Well, you and, uh, you and Todd are hanging in pretty well, you know. So, so, so Robbie Kogel has pretty much gone kind of nuts. So, Corey's fighting back to that leaves me and Todd, and who else? The bass player, John. What? No, no. Hello, it's me. Oh. Uh, that, hello, it's me with Stu Woods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Stu Woods is doing good. I saw him recently. He's he's fine. I did a gig with him. He lives on the Upper West Side. He's still playing bass uh, 35 years later. He seems in pretty good shape. He didn't, he's not down with any disease or mental breakdowns. Uh, he's just the same old self. So um, there was one other girl, a woman. Her name was Hope Ruff. She wasn't that young. She was a voice teacher. Uh, and I worked with her, and I brought her down to the session. So she, she sang backup. So there were four backup singers, mm-hmm. three horns, uh, guitar, bass, drums, piano, and organ. So I guess it was, how many people is that all together? Twelve? Mm. Eleven? 
You're not counting? No, man. You're, you lost me a long time ago, man. you got a lot of people in there that uh, were involved in this. It's no, Hello, It's Me was yeah. recorded live. No overdubs. Mm-hmm. On a Sunday morning, I, Todd called me and said, put together the session. So first we did Hello, It's Me, then we did Dust in the Wind. Uh, and, and, and so I called all these people and got them in for a Sunday live session. Well, Todd did, sang the, huh? did, Todd, did Todd normally do that or is that something he Never, no, no, never did that usually. Okay. He did it uh, on another session for, uh, something, anything. Mm-hmm. And, and he did it again on something wind, uh, what was that album titled? The wind. He did it on where he Second did record- wind? Second, uh, second wind, yeah, yeah, that album. Uh, he he did everything live, but he did a lot of edits and edited different takes together. Here back then in '72, he was '71. He couldn't do that, so he just had to go with whole live takes. Right. So we assembled all these disparate elements: four, three horns, four singers. That's seven. In the rhythm section, ten. Me and Todd, twelve people. So we got four of them have passed. Uh, two of them were pretty sick. Uh, Todd's doing good. He's out there gigging. I'm out there gigging. So, I mean, look, we're just calling it a slight curse, you know. Yeah, it is a slight a curse on, on the Hello, It's Me sessions. But it's suspicious. We're, we're, we, I don't want to get too into it because I want to live a long life. I'm sure Todd does too, yeah. right? Yeah, let's talk about maybe some, some positive stuff about those days. Did you guys realize when you were doing that that that, would be, that album was going to be such a big hit? Or that song was going to be such a big hit? Yeah. No, we never thought it was going to be a big hit. What about the album as a whole? Uh, well, I only played on like four cuts, and there was one live side, and the other three sides were Todd playing all the instruments and singing. And uh, it sounded good to me. You know, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't. It wasn't like perfect. You know, it wasn't like Stevie Wonder. Like Stevie Wonder, I think he was putting out albums at the same time, playing all the instruments, and he could really play those drums, and he was just great. Todd. He could play passably on the drums, mm-hmm. and he could always play his keyboard. Yeah, you know, his drumming was a little weak on that album, I thought, but just the, the songs all came out really well, and uh, it was an interesting record. You know, it's not actually one of my favorite Todd albums, except for Dust in the Wind is great, and, and Hello to Me. You know, it's a, a Todd album, playing all the instruments. He did a bunch of those, and uh, what he had, uh, I Swear the Light was on that, well, it was commercially so had, popular. Right, and it was then, platinum. It was his only platinum album. Well, were you surprised when he went in a totally different direction? It seems like the the record company wanted him to stick in that type of fashion. He just said, no, I'm going to go somewhere in a different direction. Well, he always wanted to have a band that was his band. Like, he had the Naz, and he really worked hard with the Naz. And then he put out two solo records. And then he went right back to having bands and trying to give them a band name. He had uh, Utopia at that point with the Hunt Brothers, and, and I played keyboard for a little bit, but then I quit to do my band. So he got this other guy, I think Dave Mason and the Hunt Brothers, and they went out as Utopia originally. He had bands he put together with me and some musicians. I was working with a band called like Rundgren, Klingman, uh, Andy Smart, Woods and Cosgrove. He gave it like, you know, Crosby Stills Nash name. Yeah. And it was a bunch of guys I was working with that were like more blues and funk oriented. Mm-hmm. And that didn't really sail too well. But, you know, there's a WMR concert floating around and that was everyone got to sing their own song. So that was pretty cool. 
then he had Utopia. So he was always going in two different directions, wanting to do a band thing and wanting to do solo albums where he played all the instruments, which he did well, you know, because he could produce them. He could be by himself. He was a hermit, the hermit of Mikala. The hermit of Mikala. So the reason that you are, were, were not in Utopia long-term was because you wanted to pursue your solo career or a different type band career. Is that right? It was more that I, I just wanted to try working with other people. Uh, like I had just produced the Bette Midler album, and I produced Bob Dylan on it as well, and do it with Bob and Bette. And actually at the time I was supposed to become her musical director, and um, so I produced her album, and I was going to be in charge of the band on the road, but it didn't happen. You know, At the last minute she went with someone else, at which point I'd already quit Utopia, and they were in Europe touring... And then when they came back and, and, and it became the four-piece and they started to do all that four-part harmony on every song and they turned them into more three- or four-minute pop songs, it seemed like it wasn't the band that was the six-piece. Also, he had, he had started cutting all, all my tunes. Like, I, I have songs on the first Utopia album, uh, a bunch of stuff on that. But on the second Utopia album, he cut all my songs and gave them to the new members. For whatever his reasons were, uh, it didn't really encourage me to stay with the band because, you know, I needed to have an access for my material. Like, I was doing uh, this thing called the Night in New Orleans Suite on the road with Utopia. It should have been on a live album. In fact, everyone was doing big solo pieces, but very few of them made it to the live album. Mm-hmm. In fact, none of them. <laughs> but other guys always got some of their other songs on, right. more Utopian songs, uh but not not these solo pieces that we had done on tour. You know? In fact, I, um, I'm just finding some of that stuff now, live recordings of some of the old solo stuff from the Utopia Second Utopia tour. I think it was. You think about putting some of that out, or are you just yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got I got a great couple of concerts with Moogie and the Rhythm Kings, where it was John Silas on drums, John Siegler, me, and Ralph Shuckett. And we were this tight, funky band. We had an album out on, on uh, Capitol Records and touring around. And when that fell apart, the whole band joined Utopia, except for Siomas. He went with uh, Peter Frampton, and um, we brought in Kevin Elman, who we had been working with, with Bette Midler and Buzzy Linhart. So another drummer that me and Ralph and John were working with became the Utopia drummer. And that was the heart of the original Utopia in, in like, one of Todd's, in Todd's touring band. First he toured as Todd Rundgren, then the second tour he called it Utopia. So I have recordings of um, Moogie and the Rhythm Kings live at Max's, nice recordings, live at WMMR radio, radio shows we did that are really good, and they have a lot of the same songs that were later done on Utopia tours or some pieces that were integrated into the icon. So, so I might put something out at my website, moogiemusic.com, M-O-O-G-Y-M-U-S-I-C, which would be the live recordings kind of morphing into a lot of the recordings we did as Utopia that were left off the albums, you know, that we did live and stuff. Yeah, that's great. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so watch for that on my website, Rundgren Heads, and uh, (laughs) Utopia, Utopia Matic Freaks. There's a lot of them out there. Are there? Uh, Tell me about them. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of them out there. We'll have some calling you tonight. I want to talk to you. Uh-huh. We're on hold now, 516. I'll get with them in a minute. I wanted to tell me, though, about Utopia. How and why did it become Utopia? Then it 
it became Todd Rundgren's Utopia. What's the story behind that? Well, it became Todd Rundgren's Utopia first because he had the number one record or number five or two, whatever Hello, It's Me was. Mm-hmm. So he took that and then he, he would open the show as a solo act and he'd bring out Utopia for the second half and he would call it Todd Rundgren's Utopia. Uh-huh. Then eventually, I think, they dropped Ty Rundgren and just went with Utopia. I'm not sure if it was done while I was still with the band. But eventually he stopped doing solo sets, and he would just do three hours of Utopia. So he would just do a three-hour concert, the whole band. And he would integrate his hits into the show and also the Utopia stuff. And and they were big concerts. They were just high energy, and they were very funky, and, and they were jazzy and funky. And, and basically... Once the original Topia left or quit, whatever it was, the next Utopia was more of a pop band that did really great harmonies, but it wasn't. It was a different band, pretty much entirely. You know, so I never felt comfortable trying to rejoin because I, I wasn't sure where I fit in. At that point, I was just trying to do my music in a lot of different settings. Okay, well, let's talk about your music for a minute. I want to ask you about your relationship with Todd, and then we're going to take some calls. we got 516-917 on hold. Hang tight with me, fellas. We'll be there in just a minute, or ladies, whoever you are out there. I wanted to uh, tell everybody, I noticed on your site that you got a concert coming up on December the 7th. Is that correct? Right, Pearl Harbor Day. We're going to be doing war songs and anti-war songs. It's going to be at the Triad Theater in New York City. Um that's in Manhattan on 158 West 72nd, Friday night, 9 p.m. I'll be at the Grand Piano with a bunch of singers. It should be a great night. If any of you are in the tri-state area, please come on down to the show. You could find the show again at my website, Moogie Music, M-O-O-G-Y-M-E-L-S-I-C.com. has all the details there. Yeah, there's a, we have several New Yorkers uh, that listen in. They were calling in that night. We had a, a fellow from New York on the show, John Montani, who was a bass player that played with Todd some this year early on. So I'm sure that'll be an interesting show. Why? What's the um, what's the idea behind war songs and anti-war songs? Just to well, uh, it's just December seventh is Pearl Harbor Day. Mm-hmm. See? So 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 World War Two was a war that had more of a, a reason to fight it. Uh, the the uh, the Japanese had blown up Pearl Harbor, a military target, and the Nazis were like genocidal uh, exterminators. So. There were real reasons to fight that war and real reasons to win that war. So that, hence the war songs, the songs of that period, of which I think we'll only be doing one or two. <laughs> I can't wait to get most of my well, songs. Yeah. But the anti-war songs are songs I write now because the wars that America fights now are unnecessary wars. There's no reason for us to be uh, in, in Iraq or Afghanistan or possibly Iran. Just absolutely, these countries haven't invaded us. They haven't killed our people except as we invaded them, then they are, because we're invading them and killing their people. So they're kind of defending themselves in their homelands. But we could pull our troops out, and America won't be in any more danger than it already is, which by going around the world and killing people in countries that haven't made war on us, it's more dangerous situation than trying to help other countries peacefully by sending them food, sending them medical supplies, sending them help to build houses that have maybe been blown up by our areas or something. You know, it's just, so it, these, these words don't make sense right now. So, hence the anti-war songs and now, the anti-war the show, feeling. Is hmm? the show going to be, are you going to make it a, is it going to, is there going to be a lot of interaction, some anti-war type, 
talk, or is it mainly just going to be music? And if, can you give me some examples of some songs that you would be singing at, at this show? Well, it's mostly my songs. I have a song called "We're the People of the World Against War." Okay, so that that would be a song I'd be doing. It's kind of like an anthem against war. And a song called uh, "Only the Outlaws Are Free," which is about standing up to systems that uh, are oppressive. You know. Uh, Maybe if they bring back the draft, people could sing only the outlaws are free and evade the draft. Right? Right. Because uh, um, so I, I've been writing anti-war songs and anti, uh, you know, uh, kind of left-wing uh, rants against the system for a while. Because I've been an activist for a while. I lived in Thompson Square in the East Village when there were all kinds of uh, police riots down there and battles for the homeless. And, I've just been, you know, so I've been like an activist person, uh, and I've been putting more and more of it into my music. I got a new album I'm finishing up now that's going to have a lot of those songs in them. Some of them are already there at my website, you know, so you could just go to my website and listen to a lot of this material. Like there's a song called "Naked on a Plane." "Naked on a Plane" uh, is um, a song about having to strip naked to get on airplanes in America. <laughs> That's about right. Which, yeah. which is almost where it's going, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Maybe they'll give you some kind of transparent nightgown, you know, or something. Uh, because, you know, they're amping up the, 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 the terror alerts and the tension and the fear so they could take away more people's rights. They got to they got to find that little hotel bottle of shampoo that you may have left in your pocket. Right. Any Anything because... Yeah. Uh, if they keep you in fear, then they can take away your constitutional rights. There you go. Well, Mookie, and that's what, yeah. We're getting a lot of calls here, so I'm going to start taking those. But I do, I promised everybody we would talk about this. I do want to find out, you know, what, th- th- there's some rumors out that, you know, you may not like Todd or you've said some things bad uh-huh. about Todd or what your relationship is with him. I just want to clear the record, see what your current thoughts are, you and Todd's relationship before we start taking calls and, and get that on out and then uh, let people talk to you about whatever they want to talk to you about. Okay, well, I don't know what what I have said bad about Todd. Um, I don't know. Like you got, you'd have to give me an example. I'm sure if if I talk long enough and think hard enough, <laughs> I will be able to come up with some negative things about yeah. Todd. Well, I don't, you don't uh, have to. I'm but, but I'm not really looking to do that tonight. I'm looking to celebrate Todd. I'm on a Todd radio station. I like it. And and I'm not looking to trash him. You know, if people really push me to it. Look, anybody could be forced to say anything bad about anyone. But I will say this. I've been gigging with uh, Stooky mm-hmm. from the NAS. Uh, in the last few years, I've done like been bringing him down to New York with his band or as a solo act, and I've been singing with him, and he's been performing with me doing the old material. I've so, seen the photos on your website, Mookie. Yeah, so, so the thing yeah. is we're very pro-Todd in that. Where I try to do some of the old utopia stuff. Uh, Stooky is out there singing... Uh, his version of Hello, It's Me, and Open My Eyes, and uh, Kitty Boy, and all kinds of NAD songs. So, right. you know, I've been performing a lot of veritable cornucopia of Todd songs. Uh, the only negative thing that I really have to say is that, uh, you know, I'm making an overture here now that, you know, the original Utopia, or the original Utopias, should be put back together to do a tour. I'm sure you could pull out some people, or a lot of people, he doesn't just have to tour with Abbey Road or with the uh, uh, or Ringo Starr or the Cars. He could take the traditions, like the first Utopia album was a huge album, and, and, it, and it it blew a lot of people's minds. So, uh, he, 
someone once said to me, you know, it's not important how many records we sell. What's important to me, he said, was how much influence we have. And the influence of those early Utopia albums was, was gigantic, you know. I just meet, you know, big stars over the course of my life who all love the, the first couple of Utopia records. They went nuts. From the Allman Brothers to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, you know, uh, just, you know, tons of people that have wanted to work with me because of that. So I can take by what you're saying, there's not, you know, what I was really trying to get at, there's not any big grudge or anything. I mean, everybody has negative things that can be said about it. You don't hold a grudge, there's no big deal. You would tour with him again if he put something together, you put something together. He well, put you know, he could put together Utopia. Now, I know a lot of the original members might want to do it, but I know uh, Willie does and uh, Kaz does. I'm not sure about Roger. I don't know how badly his 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 hands are messed up. I know he had some problems with his hands. Or... Actually, Roger was on the show a few weeks ago, and he, he's actually got a new uh, CD out. Came out in 2006, first time. Was him on guitar or something? Or... It's Fossil Poets, and he is. Uh, he said his hands are fine now, and he's uh, his problem with touring. He said was he's got a great desk job for Apple computers, and it's just uh-huh. hard for him to get away and go on a tour. He's not a he's not in that world anymore. He's you know, a business guy, I guess, for lack of a better term. And well, But uh, he certainly, you know, was not necessarily 100% opposed to it either if it was, you know, something that didn't interfere too much with his work. Well, or, you know, we could do it without Raj. We could do it with me, Willie, and uh, Chasm and Todd. We can add other members as they're available. I know that Ralph and John aren't too hot on the idea. Maybe Kevin Elman might do it for double drums, but I don't know. I know that the guys out there gigging, are Chasm, Todd, and me. They, they, Chasm and Todd tour all the time. Right. And while I don't make national tours, I play the tri-state area quite often, doing a lot of the old material and some of my material. So, you know, I'm still a gigging musician, too. It would be great if, if remnants of both utopias could be put back together for a tour. I'm putting the word out there. Um, if Todd bears a grudge against me, and I don't know why he would, I'm the guy that brought him to Meatloaf, where he made a cool 20 mil producing that Meatloaf album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was the original co-producer, yeah. so uh, you know, it, it would it kind of stuns that he would resent anything about that, which hopefully he doesn't. Yeah, so, I mean, you guys, hopeful, those things were so many years ago too. I just can't imagine that people yeah, still yeah. even think about grudges from you know when yeah. Todd was. You know, some of the, even Nas, for example, I mean, hell, the guy wasn't even 20 years old, Harley, you know, and, and if anybody still is mad about something back then, they need to let it go. But I, I was just curious. I want to make sure there wasn't any issues or problems, and I'm glad there's not, because we would, I know fans would absolutely love to see something like that put together. And I know when, when they, Todd decided to go with the new cars, there was a huge backlash from a lot of fans who were hoping there was a rumor that Utopia was going to reunite, and they were not real happy with that whole situation. And, and by the way, Willie, Willie Wilcox is, um, we haven't booked a date, but he's scheduled to be on this show sometime in January, so we're looking forward to seeing what his situation is. He's in Mexico right now, but he'll be back in the States in January. So Yeah, what's he doing in Mexico? I have no idea. I haven't been able to get the... I've been trying he to call him a few times. He Sci-Fi Network? What's doing that? The, he used to work for the Sci-Fi Network doing music spots between shows. Oh, yeah, is that right? Yeah, you didn't know this? No. Uh, I'm out of the loop, man. That's why I'm having these shows. I'm getting in information, man. you got to teach me things. That's what I want. I like it. we got a lot of callers, though. They're very informative. Let's take one right now and see what they got for you. got somebody from 516. What do you have? Hey, Doug. It's Mike Adrian. How are you? Hey, good. How you doing, man? Moogie, how are you? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Ah, long time no speak. Um, by the way, what's going on with Willie in Mexico is he's got some real estate that he's trying to work on. 
Um, that was the last thing that we had spoken about. So, uh-huh. And I don't know if he's still working for the Sci-Fi Channel. I think he is, um, but he might have left that. Um, he was looking for some properties in Mexico that he was trying to develop. Um, there we go. People in the know. Yeah, but by the way, how's George? I haven't seen him in like two George years. George is amazing. He, he, he comes to most of my gigs and sings, you got to have friends with me. Yeah, that's great. The song I wrote he's up on stage now with you? Uh, up on stage, yeah, yeah. You can see him on the website. There's some shots of him performing with me. Yeah, he's a cute kid. He is. He's great. He's real nice. Um, tryout shows are always fantastic. You know, I remember bringing Stuky to that first show um, that you guys did, which um, brought him back into singing, which I'm real happy that he's, he's continued doing. Um, so anybody. Well, if you want to come down with a camera and, and get this one, <laughs> you're more than welcome. You always pick hard nights for me. Huh? You always pick hard nights for me to get there. Friday. You always pick hard nights for me to get Friday together. night's a bad night. Yeah, it is. You know, uh, when you got family and you got obligations, it's hard. Oh, wow. Well, oh, wow. Well. It definitely is. Come on. <laughs> hey, look, <laughs> this is the first out of all the shows that I'm able to actually listen to live that uh, Doug has done with this Rungan Radio, so I'm, I'm happy at least I, I got home early to, to do this. Um, don't really have any questions. I mean, you know, Moogie's got a tremendous history besides just Todd. I mean, Jimi Hendrix and um, Bette Midler. I mean, the, the sky is, um, I'm going to use the word relic only because he's been in the industry so long, but he's not a relic. He's a, a musical wonder. Um, you know, maybe you could talk about some of your old days, you know, outside of Todd. Huh. Yeah, okay, sure, whatever anyone wants. I'm yeah. open. We've got a long list of people a year. We put on, you know, Chuck Berry, Luther Vandross, Bob Dylan, Bo Diddley, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck. I mean, there's... There's plenty, man. We might have to have uh, have him on for days, though, if we get into all of them. But, yeah, I would love to hear some great stories on any of them. Well, Moody's got some great stories. Oh, by the way, is, is your movie available? I would love oh, yeah, to yeah. That. You can order on my website. I did a, a feature where I was the lead role. It's a musical. It's kind of a hip-hop musical. It's pretty funny. And I got to be the, the top-billed star. It ran in the theaters in New York City, big reviews in the New York Times. That was about two years ago. You can order it at my website. It's called The Rodneys We Mod Like That. It's pretty funny. Oh, and good. I've, I've done a bunch of acting roles since that. So uh, you, you can order that at my website. Uh, in fact, you can even see a scene from it at um, you, YouTube. Um, if you just uh, enter in either The Rodneys or Moogie, I think it'll come up. It's a pretty funny scene. Awesome. Now, Mike, you're a big collector, right? Yes. What's something cool you got that Moogie once had? Oh, um, that Moogie once had? Yeah, you got any of his, uh, you know. Do I have any of his memorabilia? I don't know. He kind of, I've been in his house, and he's got tons of stuff all over his house. <laughs> um, I would love to take things from the house, but I would never do that. Well, what about Todd's house? Is he still running it out for um, 5000 a week? Or? They're moving, I think, this week or next week out of the house into the new place, which he designed. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and he's I mean, it looked like there was a lot of memorabilia in the house he was running. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen pictures of the inside. There's some paintings. Yeah, I don't think he wants to really there. keep a lot of his stuff. I mean, um, I got some stuff from Stuky when I was helping him out um, with his medical expenses. I mean, that's like you know some of the rarest stuff in Naz acetate, which um, is probably you know my prize piece right now. But nothing really in Moogies. You got anything to offer? Uh, I don't know if I do. If I offer, if I have something, I check my website for it. You know, there right you go, now. Moogie. Cut him a deal. If he shows up Friday night for the show, December the seventh, you'll give him something. <laughs> so I guess the official I'll, I'll, videographer. I'll take his warmly and, and I'll give him uh, something surprise. There you I go. See, surprise stuff. Time to get a babysitter, man. Stuff, yeah, that I've been compiling. 
of the old days that no one has. So yeah, some of those recordings you've got to get out. Huh? Some of those recordings you got to get out. Yep, that's right. They're going to come out. Good. Just for fans, though. Not, not in a major way, so no one has to send me any legal notices. You know, right. Just for, strictly for the fans. Um, Collectors. Well, I have one question that I was always curious about. How did the bottom line gig come about? Who called who? How did that thing unfold with you and uh, The bottom line for Buzzy Linhart. Through Buzzy, Todd Conte. No, it was Buzzy? A Buzzy, uh, the bottom line tribute to Buzzy Linhart. No, no, I'm talking about the bottom line shows in 78, the Back to the Bar stuff. Oh, how did that come about? I guess, I don't know, I guess it was Todd's idea that he wanted to do these live shows and he wanted to record them and put out an album and, uh, and do them in smaller venues. And it was all him. And he just called me up and, and I regrouped with Todd for the the New York and L.A. And I think there was even a few TV shows involved, mm-hmm. like doing Midnight Special again or something. Um when can we still be friends with that on, on the Herman album? So we did the Back to the Bars tour, it was called. So we regrouped. I played with Todd from like 68 to 75, maybe, and then regrouped in 78 with him. And then that was it. You know, that was the end of the Todd Moogie days. Right. But they were golden. Look, the Beatles only had about eight years, too, and uh, that was enough to keep them rich for the rest of their lives, you know. It hasn't kept me rich for the rest of my life, but hopefully it's kept Todd rich for the rest of his. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly hadn't heard, I guess. Are you planning on uh, hitting any of Todd shows? He's coming to New York uh, next month. Uh, I, I don't really have any plans, but I've seen a lot of his shows, and a lot of people send me uh, DVDs of his live shows and audios. I just the fans send them to me. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I wish him luck with the live shows. Maybe you and, could go hit him up for a Utopia reunion. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, totally Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a thought. It's a thought. You know, I'm going to leave it to Mike Adrian. There you go. You know, you could, you, you'll probably be going backstage, and you could say, "Hey, I was talking to Mug on Rundgren Radio, and he still wants to regroup Utopia." Well, I, I wrote I wrote this song about it that I never actually recorded, but I did write the lyrics to the Beatles. Can you drive my car? And, and the lyrics went like this. This was when he said he was going to be playing with the cards. So I wrote this parody. It went, ask Todd when he wanted to be. He said, Moogie, can't you see? I want to be famous star, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. But I can't join Utopia. Can't you see? I am going to be a car. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes, I'm going to go real far. Bah, bah, bah. I am going to join the cars and forget utopia. Button, da, da, da. Beep, 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 yeah. So it's kind of a parody to drive my car. There you go. So you were the one that was uh, spreading the, the, the pain for, for Todd deciding to go well, with new cars instead of utopia. <laughs> and I don't know if it, maybe it did him some good. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, like, uh, if he made some good money there doing that, he's just like out there for hire because I guess his audience is getting too old, right? They're all getting heart attacks and, and, uh, they're just, people are aging. He's going to be 60 and his fans, a lot of them are going to be 60 and, um, it's hard to get out to the shows. Yeah, it's right? probably getting tougher, but you know, if you want, you can make a, um, a case for the utopia that we can, 
chop up and edit and put on a uh, DVD, and Mike can take it to him at the shows in New York if you want. A chop up and edit a DVD? Yeah, okay, well, go. Mike could just tell him, you know. CD, I mean. I could, I could send Mike a copy of the lyrics to that song. There you go. You could hand that to Todd. That's it. That would be the best. Make it happen. Whatever it takes. Yeah, so I think you can always remind me, Mike, and I'll send you a copy of this. Did you ever see it? I, I, I sent it to, like, the Beyond Wizard list, and I sent yeah, it I to the... Yeah, my way. Uh, but it was pretty funny. Because I do song parodies. I do, uh, in fact, i got to do one tonight. Uh, for this radio show, I do once a month. Yeah. For WBAI, I do, like, political song parodies. Ah. Rewriting old songs and attacking President Bush with them, you know? I'm not sure your Beatles song, though, will encourage him to uh, put forth the Utopia effort reunion. Well, the message <laughs> is there. Yeah, I got you. If not that, then maybe Paul McCartney might want to re-record it with the new pad words. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to be a car bomb, bomb, bomb. It's a pretty funny song. There you go. I like it. All right, Mike, you got anything else for us? Uh, no, Moogie, good luck at the show. And anybody that's in New York, you know, on December seventh, definitely go see it. He gives okay, you can just find out about it at moogiemusic.com. It's all up there. Pictures of me in World War II regalia on the website now. Right. And by the way, the Triad's a fantastic place for a show. It's a very small, intimate place. Um, great sound. Um, yeah, it's a nice theater. It's a nice theater. Yeah, it's good theater, easy parking, no problems in that place. There you go. Pearl Harbor Day. Come here, war songs and anti-war songs. December seventh. All right, call now. You need to turn your. Uh, you need to mute your computer so I can get you on here because it's delayed. So I'll try you now if you yeah, got it yeah, off. On the website, no. no, you're still off. 917, you got to turn your computer off there, my friend. We're going to go to 303. Or not your computer off, but your sound off. 303, what you got? Hey, Doug, it's Chris Z uh, out in Denver. Uh, hey, what's up, Z-Man? The Z-Man. Uh, hey, I'm originally from Long Island. Uh, uh, I was blown away by the first Utopia album when I uh, back in the 70s when I... First started listening, and uh, uh, I even had the single to "Making the Rounds at Midnight," which I I, uh, I got on eBay. It's only, probably the only place I could find it nowadays. And uh, uh, I was wondering, was that only a promo, Moogie? I've never seen a, a legit copy. Well, they put it out, and it, they they told me they put it out, and they told me it wasn't a hit. So hopefully, they made some effort to get it out there, but I don't know if they really did, you know. Cool, cool. Making the Rounds of Midnight on Capitol Records. It came out, I think, the same time John and Yoko's album, uh, Sometime in New York City. I think it came out that month. Mm. But it didn't get to push John and Yoko that. What are you going to do, huh? Yeah. Hey, I've always loved uh, Moogie's two, uh, the, the Moogie 2 album. Uh, right, right. What's that? You can get those albums, Moogie 1 and 2 plus. Bonus cuts over. At oh, Moogie I got Music. it. I, I've got them. The, the, the Moogie Klingman, the first recording. Right, Moogie right. Klingman, old times, good times. A musical history part one. Uh, I've hit your website up. Uh, um, you know, I've got uh, the, the, the the Freak Parade uh, CD, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's all been great. It's, it's great to explore your your website, and I just really appreciate you as a musician, as a producer. Um, I know you co-produced uh, uh, Taking Care of Business. Uh, the the um, James Cotton album with Todd. With Todd, yeah, we did that And uh, and boy, I was uh, it was I was glad to see that uh, he used a few of your songs as well on that on that album. Yeah, he did. You know, he liked my material. We kind of inspired each other in the early days. Certain of his songs were were kind of inspired by my songs, and some of mine were inspired by his. Cool. So 
we were a good, you know, team back then, co-producing albums. We co-owned the studio, Secret Sound, where we recorded a lot of his most beloved music, which was in my loft, you know, where he recorded the Ton album and uh, uh, A Wizard of True Star. That was pretty amazing. That, that he finished wiring up the place, and then he was right into recording A Wizard of True Star. Well, you've always been one of my musical heroes uh, over the years, as well as Todd, and uh, and uh, you know it's it's just been a pleasure to to have a chance to thank you for all you've done over the years, and uh, and I'll just continue hitting you up your web- website for some more great music. Well, thank you so much, my friends. Very good. And remember, wherever you go, there you are. All right. Thanks, Ian. Think about that. Think about that. Let's try nine one seven again. Nine one seven. You got to mute your computer. Can you hear me, 917? All right. I don't know what the deal is. That's the third time I've said that. Let me ask Let me ask you some questions that came from email. Uh, somebody, I think we just you touched on this a little bit, but they want to know, this is Stephen, want to know about your experience of recording those classic records in Secret Sound and said that your bedroom was just down the hall. Yeah, well, half the loft was my rehearsal studio and the other half was where I lived. And then Todd came along with that and said he, he wanted to turn my rehearsal studio into Secret Sound, a place where he could record all his records secretly. And, and I could use the studio and we'd be partners. I said, great. I, he got a lot of stuff. I did chip in some money and was in my partially built studio. And we just worked really hard and we recorded. And he, he did a lot of wiring. Like at the height of his success, instead of touring, he was wiring up his own studio there. Uh, and then the first album was Wizard of True Star, which he did with my band. Second album was Moogie 2, which you can still get at uh, uh, my website, which was my second album for Capital, which ended up coming out on EMI in Europe instead. Um, he was the engineer. He would turn on the tape machines, he'd run in the studio and play with the band. There'd be nobody watching the levels. That's how he wanted to do it. <laughs> he just wanted to do it all himself, you know, so so sometimes things got kind of uh, overly saturated on tape, but if you listen to it, it's a pretty wild sound, There's some of the stuff on Wizard of Tree Star. War Babies was up there, uh, so I was had hauling oats in my loft for like two months, and they hadn't had any real hits, they had uh, She's Gone, but they were still a, basically an un, unknown act at that time. When Todd was recording, they did, I mean, they had some success, but they weren't this gigantic, huge act that they became. So I knew them and was hanging out with them. And, and, and even they did a concert with us. I got tapes of it somewhere of um, and Todd's birthday at Central Park. They came out, and I played piano, and Todd sang Dust in the Wind, and the background vocals were holding notes, which was nice to have on my song, to have... Daryl and Johnson and backup. Do you have this on video or, or a tape audio? Audio, but really bad, but I'm going to put it out there anyway so people can hear it. Yeah. Now, those uh, were, was this part of the annual Central Park New York show? Yeah, it was the annual Central Park show, and it was he started it by doing Dust in the Wind on uh, like four or five songs on the piano, but then he brought out uh, Hall & Oates for Dust in the Wind and the uh, Motown medley, you know, which is on A Wizard of True Star. And um, Bette Midler did her first, her, her album with me at Secret Sound. Bob Dylan came in and recorded on that. 
uh, New York Dolls did some sessions there with Khan. Uh, the uh, Grand Funk Railroad, they mixed where an American band did all the overdubs there on that, that record. So there was a lot of classic records done. And I got to entertain a lot of big rock stars or up-and-comers. The, the, best, the best time was when Bob Dylan came over to record the duet with Bet. He kind of came over. We didn't really expect him, so no one was there. And he came over. It was just me and him, and he was hanging out at my house. And I was, like, trying to entertain him while calling everyone to come to the studio for a recording session. So I got to do a lot of hanging out with Dylan uh, over the course of a couple of days around those sessions with Bet. That was fun. And and Todd was out of town or in Europe, and when he got back, and, George, I'm I'm on the radio doing an an interview. I can't <laughs> talk right now. It's my son. All right. Well, you want to you want me me to read you the stuff to bed or something? Oh, you want the uh, too late? Too late, sir. Okay, it's too late. Um, my son wants Spider-Man's right here. Uh, just give it to. Okay, well, I I gotta work, George. I'm on the phone. Okay, go take it to your mother, and, and she'll and she'll deal with it. That's George, the one uh, like Adrian was talking about. Hey, if you need to run, just let us know. No, that's okay. Uh, right. So uh, what I was talking about, uh, what was I just talking about? Dylan. Yep, hanging out with him. Back in the yeah. Oh yeah. When Todd got back, like Todd was a very blase guy. Like nothing affected him. Like when he went to work with the George Harrison. Uh, and took over the production of Badfinger. He had like, oh, George Harrison was just a guy that dropped out of the production, and Todd resented that. He had nothing good to say about Harrison or the Beatles or anyone he worked with. He didn't really, or anyone he met. They were just people that you know. He just he wasn't impressed with them. Uh-huh. Whether he met the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or you know James Taylor, I took him backstage for a James Taylor concert, and uh, he just wasn't. Anyway, so uh, he comes back from Europe or somewhere, and I had just been producing Bob Dylan with Bette Midler, and he went totally nuts. He went, Look, I had to work with Bob Dylan. What was he like? What was that like? Blah, blah, blah. Like, he completely flipped out over me working with Dylan. Like, for him, I didn't know that he was into Dylan at all, you know? Like, this was before he had done that album where he did a Dylan song, you know? So, uh Somebody he just went nuts that I had gotten to produce Bob Dylan and, and work with him. And, like he he had only met him once, and Dylan just like in passing in Woodstock, even though they were both managed by the same guy, Albert Grossman. So the funniest thing about that Dylan thing at our studio was was how how nuts Todd went. Like how he, he was like a big fan. What's he like? What was it like to work with him? Wow, how'd you do it? Blah blah blah. <laughs> He still hasn't got to work with Dylan Finn. Uh-oh. Well, speaking of people that, that he may be or may not be impressed with, uh, Stephen also wanted to know what type of influence um, Laura's music was on TR. Well, Laura Nero was a big influence on me and Todd. That's one of the things that brought us together, is that we were both gigantic Laura Nero fans. My first band was called The Glitter House, and The Glitter House was on Bob Cruz's record label. And Bob Crew produced the Four Seasons and Frankie Valley and Mitch Ryder, just a lot of these big harmonious acts. And his arranger's name was Charlie Colello. Charlie Colello arranged all the Four Seasons hits, all the Frankie Valley hits, and did a lot of work with Bob Crew. Anyway, Charlie Colello found this girl, Laura Nero, and he produced, 
you know, her first album on Columbia called Laura Nero and the 13th Confessions. And we were at Bob Crew's house one night, and Bob Crew had this amazing apartment. He had a, a triplex penthouse on Fifth Avenue in like 66th Street or something. He just, you know, he was so wealthy, he had so many hits, and he owned his own record label. He just got all the money, you know, uh, from his music business experiences, unlike a lot of us who don't get the money, who've done big successes. Um, and we were just there, and then he slips on this Laura Nero album, and we were all like pretty stunned on some some good mm, weed at the time. And uh, back, and we're talking when was this? 1969, maybe 1969. Eli and the 13th Confessions before the album came out. We just heard this thing, and we couldn't believe how good it sounded, and we didn't know if it was because we were stoned or what. And, and it was an advanced copy. And we left Bob Cruz's house, and, and the whole band was like on the floor. Did we really hear this woman? Was she really as good as we thought? Is this album was real? And then, <clears throat> like a few months later, it came out, and it was just this amazing record, Eli and the 13th Confessions. And it just laid out like a way of being a, a singer-songwriter and playing major seventh chords that started me writing songs, really. I really became a serious songwriter after listening to Eli and the 13th Confessions. And then I was hanging out with Todd, where I just met, and he was this Eric Clapton guitar player, and he came over and he started playing all these major seventh chords on my piano. I said, wait a minute, do you listen to Laura Nero? And he said, I love Laura Nero. <laughs> so, like, we were these two guys, because she, she kind of bombed out. Her album didn't really make any noise, even though her songs were picked up by other artists. But we had this connection, because Laura Nero inspired both of us to start writing songs at the piano. And Todd really picked up the piano from when he heard Eli and the 13th Confession. He might have played it a little before then, but after that he was just driven to just be, you know, into taking Lauren Nero's major seventh chords and just taking them further and further out so that he, he would absorb classical influences. Uh, he would listen to classical music. He would listen to far-out English bands. He would just take the major seventh so, like, you know, uh, on a lot of those albums, on Something, Anything, I think, mean, I mean, Something, Anything, um, even his first album had a song called Laura, I Saw You uh, Playing in L.A. So he even had a Laura Nero tribute song on his first album. And, you know, she was just a big influence on both of us, and that was a big connection between us, because Todd, I think he really started to play and write those songs because of Laura Nero. And she did another album that was good, another one or two that were pretty good, and then she, she just never could get back to Eli and the 13th Confessions. And I think it was a little bit upsetting to me, but I know Todd had heard him that she couldn't keep up this amazing, uh, uh, this, this amazing quality of music that she had with Laura, Eli and the 13th Confessions. Uh, so, I mean, he worked with her for a little bit, um, and then she died, sadly. She had cancer, and I think she was broke for, I don't know what was happening with her royalties. So she had kind of a sad end in her, her 40s about 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago, April 8, 1997. Wow. Well, that's uh, she was clearly a huge influence, and that's, uh, sometimes that's all it takes is uh, uh, something in common to get people to take the next step. 917, you're on if you can turn your mute on. We would love to talk to you. So, I mean, it worked for a little bit. 
Okay, done with that. All right, so 917 wanted to talk to you, but apparently it's not listening to me to turn off their radio because these shows are delayed. So anyway, all right, so he also will know, and I know we've touched on this a lot already, but in case we miss somebody, uh, Stephen will know what the original Utopia members are up to now, if you know. Uh, I don't know what Kaz is playing with Todd mm-hmm. and uh, Meatloaf. But Meatloaf, was, he had a big thing happen with his voice. He can't sing for a while. Uh, well, the, he did stop a show, but the, apparently he's going to start touring again. I know, but he, he stopped his whole tour. Yeah. So that now Todd could get me, uh, Kaz ordered him again. Uh, Kevin Elman was playing with me for a little while in the Fleet Parade. I got him back into the drums in around 2000, 2001, 2002. But then I, I lost touch with him again. He stopped playing with me. He has a day job as a financial advisor to the rich, and he was doing a bi-weekly 10-minute financial spot on uh, CNBC, lunch hour Wednesdays. I don't know if he still does it, you know. So he, he was always uh, very into, like, a lot of financial day job things. Ralph Shuckett works in L.A. doing some movie soundtrack stuff. John Siegler... Uh, Became very rich doing Pokemon, being the music producer of all the Pokemon music. Wow. You know? So, uh, and of course, he doesn't return my calls. <laughs> kind of unfortunate because I got him all his early gigs. But yeah. he did tell me he is swimming in the money being the big publishing head of all the Pokemon music. You know, yeah. uh, Neither him or Ralph have played out anywhere in 15, 20 years. Mm. And they don't really seem to have the desire to do it either when I spoke to John about coming down to play with me. Uh, Wilcox, again, I heard he was doing the Sci-Fi Network, doing little spots. Who else is there? Roger Powell, you know more about him. Johnny Labatt, whatever happened to Johnny Labatt? Do you know? We, we were um, talking about that with uh, someone the other day, but I do not know the current. There's some kind of, uh, got some kind of, Man, I, I, my memory's bad. Somebody can call in. Maybe it was talk. Call, somebody called in. I think it was EJ called in about some type of thing they have going on uh, for him, tribute or something, and I can't remember what it was, New York or something. I don't know what the story is. I, I didn't get the full story about what's going on with that. But we did talk about him, actually, just uh, uh, last week, as a matter of fact, I think when John Forensic was on. Sure did. So, EJ, if you're listening, give me a call. Give us the scoop. Moogie wants to be in the loop on this. So do I. So there we go. Anybody else we're missing? We good? You don't have any of my music to play there, huh? You know, none of my albums. You can't play the audience any stuff while we're doing the interview. Let them hear a little of mine. I'll play no. any of the music? Yeah. No, don't have anything with me. We, huh. uh, oh. I uh, play well, a little dust in the wind for the start, but we usually try there to... There you go. Uh, yeah, Freak Parade, that's, that's a song I wrote with Todd. Uh, I have to upload. I don't have anything like that uploaded right now. We uh, all right. We like to learn stuff and keep it talk mostly. But uh, if there is something okay. you want to play, I all can right. play it. So what else can we talk? Well, I know that uh, there was. I would like to hear a little bit about you were. I heard childhood friends with the late comedian Andy Kaufman. And yeah, I even got Andy and uh, Todd came together on one night, Six Degrees is Separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a band, the Utopia Band, without Todd, playing at Max's Kansas City with Andy Kaufman, mm-hmm. 
in the band, doing comedy routines between songs. So I was trying to develop like a Martin and Lewis act with Andy Kaufman. This was before he was a star. Todd was already a star, and Utopia was on its way to stardom, but Andy, I think he had just started to do Saturday Night Live at this point, but it was still very early for him. And I was saying, well, we should do a Martin and Lewis thing. I just read their bio. I said, you know, I'll play piano and sing, and they'll come out and do crazy weird stuff like Jerry Lewis would do to Dean Martin, and will become as big as Dean and Jerry, who were like the biggest thing outside of the Beatles and Frank Sinatra. In fact, bigger probably than both of them was Martin and Lewis. They were big in nightclubs, movies, radio, TV. They were just the biggest thing that ever happened for a long time. So Andy Kaufman did this week, Moogie Klingman Review with Andy Kaufman. We were in, in, we passed out the flyers at the big Utopia show at Central Park. This week, uh, all the Utopia guys are going to be with Moogie at Max's Kansas City with Andy Kaufman. So we would do my songs, we'd do some Utopia stuff, and Andy Kaufman would come out between songs and be different characters goofing <laughs> on the audience. It's a pretty high concept, you know. I bet like, that was awesome, yeah. And then one night, Todd came down. So Todd came down, Andy Kaufman would do comedy, Todd did like some Utopia songs with us, then Andy would do comedy. And then recently somebody gave me a cassette of Todd on stage with us and doing songs with us and then Andy doing comedy and then us doing songs with Todd. So it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Todd was my band with Andy Kaufman. That's awesome. You got that on Moogie Music, I take it? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. I don't know what the Kaufman people are gonna feel. It's just got like one or two little uh, routines with Andy between songs. We're doing like Freak Parade and and pieces of the Icon with Todd, and it's pretty strange, right? Todd Rundgren on stage with Andy Kaufman. You can't beat it, can you? He was my best friend in high school. Is that right? Now your sister participated in editing his movie. Man in the Moon? My sister is a huge film editor in Hollywood. She does all the major Hollywood films, and she edited uh, Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman story. Yeah. So, yeah, she's big. Uh, and, and it was just a coincidence. It's one of those crazy coincidences. And, um, yeah, it was great growing up with Andy. He was pretty strange, and, and we played in a band together, our first band. It's in one of his books, one of the bios. He's even a... Uh, there's an um, e-channel documentary about Andy that that where I I'm interviewed a lot talking about growing up with him, which is pretty interesting. If you ever get to see it, they repeat it sometimes. On yeah, I've seen that. Now, so can you let us in on whether or not the wrestling injury was real or fake? The wrestling? Yeah, the the, the neck brace and the whole deal. Remember that? Well, he never would tell you, but it, uh, it started to seem to me more and more that it was fake, you know? <laughs> he never let you and, know. And I'm telling you, man, for years and years, I, I also thought the death was fake. Mm-hmm. Most people did. That, you know, and, I mean, I still don't know if it's real, but I'm imagining it is real that he really died then. But, you know, like, it was a boy who cried wolf. Like, he goofed on people so often, pretending to do things that weren't real, pretending to be people that weren't real, like... uh his alter ego there, uh, Tony Clifton, mm-hmm. so that the, by the time he was really sick and he died, no one believed him, no one cared, no one, none of the stars he worked with came to his funeral. I came, but they didn't. You know, nobody. Really? They thought it was a trick. Huh? Wow. Maybe I bet they feel bad now. 
Yeah, like in the movie, they're all at the funeral, but in real life, none of them came to the funeral. Yeah. Wow. Also, they didn't like Andy. Andy wasn't a very likable guy because he was always goofing <laughs> on people with his weirdness, and it turned a lot of people off. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, yeah, the coolest thing about Andy was, is when we did this concert in high school, and he pretended to be a blind Cuban conga player, and we had to lead him on and off stage. <laughs> and in the middle of our concert, there was a riot, and, and they closed a curtain on us, and Andy was pretending to be blind, looking for a way out. You know, this is our first time we were on a concert stage, and the thing turned into a riot. You know? <laughs> oh, man, he was definitely a character. Hey, somebody and did oh, Go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. Somebody did what? Somebody wanted me to ask you if you have ever talked to Brian Wilson. I never have, no, but I did hang out one night with Mike Love because of Andy Kaufman. At those shows we did at Max's Kansas City, one night Mike Love came to see the show, and he's the lead singer of the Beach Boys, mm -hmm. and, and he sat down like next to Andy, and I love the Beach Boys, and it was like, to me, it was like the Beach Boys, the band, the Beatles, they were like my three favorite bands, all with Bs, right? And, and Andy was into transcendental meditation. And he'd meditate before the shows, and that's how we knew Mike Love through Transcendental Meditation. Hmm. So Mike Love was there, and, and I sat down and talked to Mike Love, and he was so unfriendly and so arrogant and so conceited. Hmm. It just was a gigantic turnoff. Not good. You know, so, I mean, it really hurt. You know, I, he's, I should have never met this guy, you know. Because yeah. he, he wasn't in any way trying to be friendly, even though he was coming down to see my band. Uh, and and I was a big fan of his. He didn't care, you know. <laughs> he was just a transcendental one. I think they've been suing each other in the Beach Boys for like thirty years. They keep suing each other over the name, right? Okay. Well, <clears throat> well, I just remember now. It's actually Liz who called uh, called in about that story about the the person we're looking for. So Liz, call me up here in a minute. Uh, also, there's some people who are interested in hearing a little bit more about the a uh, Watts time period. The Wizard True Star. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, it was the psychedelic period. It was uh, taking LSD occasionally and smoking a lot of marijuana. Yeah. And and you know I turned Todd on to pot for the first time. Well, that was Todd, yeah. <laughs> so Todd had never gotten high on anything. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He didn't take drugs. He was very nerdy. He was a nerd, you know, and. Uh, he was one of those guys in high school that just stayed in his room, and he had, I don't think he had friends. He was just a nerdy guy, and he developed himself. He, he figured out how to be a rock star and how to sing and play guitar and, and, and other things, like how to wire together studios. He was a bit of a science nut, you know. So he was a nerd. That's why I would have to contract all the musicians for him, because Todd wasn't good at, at social interaction. He just wasn't, you know. Now looking back, that that the uh, the fact that he did get uh, psychedelic and get into different type of drugs yeah, definitely yeah. had an influence on his music. Do you think? That yeah, was a good yeah. Influence? The, Wizard True Star is is like he went from uh, 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 something anything, which maybe he was smoking a little weed at the time, but by the time he was doing Wizard a True Star, you know, he was seriously into psychedelics. And uh, and it's all on that album, you know. It's like what happened to the Beatles when they started getting psychedelic, right? Between uh, 
forever. I want to hold your hand in Strawberry Fields forever, right? Sure. Well, do you so, think it was a good influence, though, for him? Because that's when he decided to go in a different direction from a hit with something, anything. Do you think that was a, a positive move, or, or do you look back and go, well, maybe maybe it was something he, he should reconsider? I mean, most fans that are big-time fans love that album. It's their favorite. What do you personally think, though, about that situation in that time period? I think it's great. I love that record. It's a lot of fun. I think Todd always pursued hits. Sometimes not as much as other times, but he always tried to write hits. They put out tons of singles on him, and he had a lot of hits. Like, he kept having hits. So he didn't have number one hits, but he had top 50 hits. He had turntable hits. Like, I heard Bang the Drum all day at the Knicks game the other day. They played Bang the Drum at the intermission, right? So he's had had... He never turned his back on hits. He always put out singles. He always wrote songs that he thought were hits. Only people didn't think they were hits. People didn't, but so you know, like can we still be friends? Made some noise. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I uh, banged the drum all day. Made some noise. You know, he had a few a few turntable things happening. Uh, so I wouldn't say he he turned his back on making hits except that they turned their back on buying them as singles, you know. Or, but I think he always kept trying to write every album, have a few commercial songs in there that they could... And they did, and they kept putting them out. Just, they, they just, you know, sometimes you can only get to that top spot a little while. I don't know what it takes to make the, the singles hits. I don't know what it takes now. I, don't, I didn't know what it takes then. So <clears throat> I don't think Todd was as self-destructive as people made him out to be. I think he tried to make hits with not the original Utopia. The original Utopia was a non-hit machine. We did 10-minute songs, 15-minute songs, weird time changes. But the second Utopia was, uh, you know, they, some call it a bubblegum band. They, they did three-minute singles, four-minute singles, everything in four-part harmony. So he, he kept trying to hit the formula, but it didn't hit. You know, he would have been better off with the uh, getting more jazz musicians. <laughs> And doing more weirder music, you know. But look, you do what you do. He, you know, uh, the big hit for Utopia after I left was Chasm Song. Uh, set me free, right? That was the biggest single Utopia ever had. At least that's what Chasm told me. <laughs> yeah, I'm <sighs> sure Chasm. We had him on, and you know, he. I don't want to put words in his mouth or whatever. But he seemed to think that there was a, a direction they went in that that hurt him commercially, and I'm not really sure where he was going with that or what it was because that's, you know, I wasn't. Well, he we talked about before. after "Set Me Free," mm-hmm. was in top thirty, maybe the top twenty. Mm-hmm. To Todd, he said Todd was upset because it wasn't a Todd song; it was a Chasm song. So Todd didn't let Chasm have any more singles with Utopia. Uh, and, and then the next album was a Beatle imitations album where they're trying to pretend to be the Beatles. And they put it out the month John Lennon was shot. So it was like really bad timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you so, think back then, I mean, you know, Todd would, uh, I mean, he, he had, I mean, apparently it sounds like maybe his ego would get in the way sometimes if somebody else was getting too popular in the band. Is that kind of what you're saying with the Chasm hit? Well, this is what Chasm, you know, kind of made plain to me. I'm sure, you know, he hasn't held back on it, that, that he had this big hit with Utopia, and then he was never able to get any more singles out, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like I had a lot of stuff on the first album, and all of a sudden I'm cut off the second. But Chasm stayed with the band. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Chasm stayed, you know? So uh, Still stays he, with him, yeah. So, so. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... Utopia, you know, the second Utopia tried to have hit singles every single album. 
They just didn't get any, you know, but they had some really good songs that should have been hits, you know. Sure. Why do you think, though, a lot of these songs, there's a lot of us, and and you just said it, that this should have, should have, should have been a hit, and they just, they're not. Play This Game, that was a good song. Yeah. Cry Baby was a good song. You know, he he wrote, Todd wrote hit material on almost every single album he ever made. You know, uh, uh, um, Just One Victory. One of his greatest oh, yeah. songs is on uh, A Wizard of True Star. And he put that on there to be a single on that album, but it, it never happened, you know. So he's always had really great single-type material on almost every record he's done. Uh, maybe not on Liars, but maybe he can't write, you know, not into that commercial thing anymore. Liars is pretty esoteric stuff, you know. Pretty wild, but I mean, it's all got a, a, a disco beat to it, so yeah, it's not a rock beat, you know. You hear so, a lot of that on radio. Did you like that CD? Liars. I yeah. thought it was creative. I just didn't like any of the songs. It was kind of a little bitter lyrically or something. It was well done, and there was a lot of work put into it, but the material kind of left me cold, you know. <laughs> what do you mean by that? That just it, it, there was nothing that excited me on that record. Nothing I could identify with. You know, and Todd was writing songs that were what, you know, a little strange, a little bitter, a little angry. What, women are stupid, or what, uh, women are evil. He had that song. He had your stupid mother, a motherfucker on that song, you know, yeah. on that album. That's just a lot of weird songs that, 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 that didn't really, even though he worked hard on that record, mm-hmm. just, you know, the material left me cold. And I was disappointed with the song. But that's me. You know, maybe other people... Did you happen to write that lyric? He left me so cold. No, all right. Anyway, <laughs> what uh, what do you think about him doing the Arena Rock album that's supposed to be coming? Have you heard about this? I haven't heard it, no. That's That's what he's working on now is an Arena Rock album. You think that's a good well, it's album? Arena Rock. He got me on that. We're all trying to figure it out, I guess. Well, uh, he play, he's kind of deserted the piano, because mm-hmm. he, he can't really play the piano without making a lot of mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he the solo tours... Since he wants to play piano, but he can't really play the songs without like a lot of flubs. So now he just plays guitar, mm-hmm. and yeah, he plays like, really uh, loud heavy metal guitar. Sure. And his audience is all hitting fifty and sixty and seventy, and they don't want their ears blown out anymore, right? What do you think the issue is with the piano? I mean, I, I'm not a, pia- a pianist. In- he should have he should have rehired me for those tours. <laughs> what a, if he could what pay about, my price, if he could pay my rate, because I know them, those songs, I could play them. You know, he just—he was never a piano player. Right. He after he heard Laura Nero, he started playing a, a lot of major seventh chords, and he'd play piano enough to write all these piano songs and record them. But then he he would go back to the guitar, and he would never woodshed enough on the piano to be a real piano player. So it makes it hard to get through all his material. Because it's very difficult material, you know. Todd's well, material is difficult. The only thing I've heard comment on about it, it was, uh, was uh, and I know there's other reasons why I might not play it, but hello, it's me. He says there's a, a half step that's difficult. Can you explain to me as a, a layman what that means? It's just got a lot of chords in hello, it's me, and it's a, a transition where you go up a half step, so every chord changes. It's it's you know it's a tough song. Even hello, it's me is a tough one. He writes complex material and was just hard for him to play it on the piano. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know if people would send me these CDs of Todd playing his solo shows and then making all these mistakes and stopping and then trying to blame it on the 
on a sound mixer or, or he had a bad day. He'd go into these raps and what a bad day he had. Because he'd stop in the middle of Hello, It's Me because he couldn't remember it. Yeah, I think that may be a little Andy Kaufman in him. Though. I've heard it too many times on the same song, you know, and, and I wonder if it's tough to play the materials if, if you're not a piano player. You well, yeah. should hire hire a piano player, man, and then, then just sing it. Can, it will still be an intimate concert. <laughs> he doesn't have to yeah. play the piano. Why do you think he doesn't? Because no keyboardist, no piano player on the tours right now, and you're playing a couple songs from Liars, which Soul Brothers one of them, and it clearly, you know, is a keyboard song. A lot oh, yeah, like Soul Brothers is a good song on Liars. Yeah, I like that one. He's having so, to do so it even on, even on Liars, is a, that could have been a hit. You know, Soul Brother was great. And I like that song. Well, they released it as a single, apparently over overseas, and uh, but it, it didn't go anywhere. With it's it. good. Yeah, he always he's always got singles on his albums, you know. So I don't think it's just that people don't buy him, you know. But he he writes them and he sings. You know, he's a great singer. Todd sings well. Uh, um, what, what was your question? <laughs> Let me switch gears to another one because somebody wanted me to ask you about an interview that you did with Todd in Manhattan. It was on TV. And yeah, it was on my show. I had a cable show, 1979-1980, called Manhattan Alley, and we fe- featured like a three-part interview with Todd up at his studio, Bearsville. Yeah. Originally, what it was, it was like a two-and-a-half-hour interview about Todd's whole life. Mm-hmm. And, and, wow. And, and like during certain parts of it, he got angry with me. I think we were smoking some weed, and he was you know, maybe getting on a bad trip or something. Anyway, when I took the tapes back to the city, there was a big hum on the soundtrack. So if we were just talking in normal tones of voice, you couldn't hear us because there was this big hum. Hmm. So the only parts on the, on the interview you could even hear were when uh, Todd was yelling at me or I was yelling back at him. So those are the only parts I could use. <laughs> so most of the TV interview is like me and Todd screaming at each other over <laughs> over over ridiculous stuff. And I mean, you know, a piano Todd's player. Company. No, I don't. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, like he he got pretty insulting towards me. I, mm. I didn't want to put it on, but I had nothing else to put on because you know, it, at least when he was loud and I was loud, you could hear us above the hum. Well, what about now with all the great software out there? Is there a way to edit it so you can get the rest of that out? Maybe some of the nicer parts where y'all weren't cussing each other? If I, yeah, if I still have the original tapes, but it was just yeah. too hard. Come on, man. And he's done a million stuff. interviews, man. All, you know, all that stuff about his life. Is, hasn't he done like 10,000 long interviews? And Somebody just gave me one he did uh, last year uh, on FMU. Mm-hmm. You know, he does a, enough, the hum is pretty bad, but I'll check it out. You know, see what yeah. happens. So he's still got a big following out there, right? He still can go out and tour all the time. He's not losing his audience from uh, the Ties tour, or well, I don't know. Um, it's that's, that would be tough to define it. There's a you know, there's a, a show that a lot of people are disappointed in uh, Buffalo, New York, that's already sold out. But you know, I wouldn't, I, I wasn't around for a lot of you know the, the older, bigger shows, and I don't, uh. I'm sure it's d- died down. But the thing about his fan base is they're very hardcore, and the ones that still follow him will be there, and they'll show up. So you're looking at several hundred people at each show, and yeah, I know back go. in the day they were several thousand probably, but that's um, enough to keep him going because he's, you know, uh, these car shows, as a matter of fact, had some pretty decent audiences, and they played, you know, a lot of songs, and they were, you know, 
pretty youthful for their age, I would say. It was there was some really good shows if you like cars music and they, they rocked it hard and they didn't cut the, the, the songs, you know, short or just play a few. They played, you know, at least a dozen or so songs and Well, I think it was good for Todd because then it wasn't his material, he didn't have to think about himself so much. I think it freed him to be a better performer. You know? He was a great performer in the shows. He did some of his stuff. They played Black Mariah, I Saw the Light, Bang on the Drum, and uh, Naz, Open My Eyes. Well, there you go. So he did a few of his hits. But it sounds like a freedom to just you know be someone else and not have to deal with being Todd Rundgren. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, exactly. It, now, his shows it, it, now are all pretty much rock. You know, It's not a ballad-type show or, or a... Uh, well, you see, I think that's too bad that, that he's given up doing... Because to me, it's, his piano songs were his best songs. And and his guitar songs are really loud, and and they, you know, it's just hard, loud, heavy metal. And as we start to age and our eardrums start to go, uh, we don't want to necessarily get uh, deaf, made deaf at every every show we go to, you know. So, I think you know, he should somehow try to get back to those great piano songs, even if he has to hire a piano player, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, it, it is interesting that uh, as he gets older, that he's going more to the harder uh, rock and he's going to have an arena rock album, you would think, and that's Todd, though, for you. I mean, it's always the opposite of what people expect or think because probably you look at some of the bands, you know, that are getting up in the, you know, getting close to 61, they're probably going a little softer. Todd's doing the opposite. That's the way he rolls for whatever reason. And I don't know. I, I like the show a lot. I've seen it. And it's, uh, and I would love to see the ballads as well. I'm not going to complain either way, but I do. So how was the show you saw? How was the last Todd show you saw? Oh, I enjoyed it a lot. But it is all the only it's all hard hardcore. Hard only, rock. Well, he plays. I saw the light. You know, of course, uh, a guitar version more. You know, it's kind of a little more more rock than I would say the the, the studio version. And then he plays uh, Hawking, which is a great song from Nearly Human. Other than that, though, you get uh, you know things like. Number one lowest common denominator, Drive, Black and White, a couple liar songs, Buffalo Grass, a lot of the heavy guitar songs. So, uh, and Jesse's fantastic, of course, on guitar too. So they do a good job. It's really nice and, and a fun show. But a lot of people I know, uh, I'm sure, show up expecting to hear something different, <laughs> and they just they, they may be shocked. But then you have the hardcore fans; they love this kind of setup. It's just. You can't please everybody. I mean, you probably know that more than... He's just a really good singer, so... Yeah. He's always going to sing great, and his guitar playing is, is, is a little too noisy for my taste, but but his singing is fantastic, and that's what carries him. That's why they wanted him as the lead singer of the, the cars, because he's such a great singer. Yeah. And he could sing, you know, all night at loud volumes, and so that's kick-ass, that he's going to be hitting 60 in a few months. And he yep. can do this stuff. 60 next but, year. But it's also good to get mellow in your old age and, and to do some of that beautiful mellow material. We'll talk you know, him into uh, it. We'll come yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him anymore, man. you got to talk to him. He's going to be in your backyard December. I, he always passes through, but he never calls. You know he's going to be at the blender, and he's going to be in Asbury as well. Which uh, Okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll meet up again, or we'll get the word out, you know, and uh, we can stage a reunion, but... I really wish, you know, you guys, I can tell you, I mean, just from, you know, what little I know, which isn't much, but the Utopia would, would be, a, I think, would be a big hit if Utopia got back together. I don't know what the issues are. Maybe we need to get VH1 involved. <laughs> they come chase you down, make you sign the album, try to get you guys back together. It'd be, that'd be something special for sure. Okay, well, I'm ready. I'm, I'm preparing for the day. I got my, 
Utopia outfit here in, in my old Utopia makeup, and uh, there you go. I have my Utopian outlook, you know. All right. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna have to keep going with Moogie music for a while. I remember the theme song, "You Gotta Have Friends." Yeah, absolutely. And and I've been able to put together some tremendous shows around my music. I had a birthday concert this year. I had Liberty DeVito on drums with me. I saw the Great picture. Summer. Liberty like DeVito was, was 30 years with Billy Joel. You know. Now was that a surprise for you? You knew that was coming. That's probably pretty advertised, I guess. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I hired him, and he played with me. He's done a bunch of gigs with me. I had um, Ian Lloyd from Story singing with me, and we did Brother Louie. Louie, 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 Louie. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Right, I had uh, uh, Stooky from The Naz was with me, mm-hmm. and we did a bunch of his hits. Uh, this is at my birthday gig. We had um, Patty Rothberg, who was a, you know, had a, a big album between the one and the nine about ten years ago. So she's still a hot rocker. We had this guitar player, Jim Satin, who plays with me. He did 14 years as Bo Diddley's band leader. You know, I mean, I got all-star rock contingents. Well, there was some. There was a story out that apparently that I saw that Naz, I guess Sticky, was doing some kind of tour under the name Naz. Do you know anything about that? Did that happen? Yeah, he has. He has uh, Stooky's going to be playing at BB King's. The Naz is together. He has his band, the Naz, and they're really good. They do the old songs. They do some new songs. I bet that's nice. Somebody so Stooky's to out ask, there doing it. Huh? Somebody wants me to ask you about music from Free Creek. About yeah, it's an album I did with Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and Dr. John and Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake and Palmer. It was a lot of fun, and and it's available at my website again. So I was even working with Todd. I was working with Clapton way back when. But this is he did this album with me when when he was with uh, Blind Face, and they were at Madison Square Garden. He came over after the show. It was a jam album, and when Clapton came to the studio, I got to produce the sessions, and it was all my tunes. Nice. And it was a lot of fun. You know, it really was, and it's available. And Jeff Beck, we did sessions with him. Basically, doing a lot of down-home rock and funk with those guys. Sissy Strut. Sissy Strut, yeah, working in a coal mine. Uh, yeah, it was great working with Captain and Beck. I had a great time. It's available at Moogie Music, Freak Parade. Mm-hmm. Kill, Kill I mean, not Freak Feet. Parade, Freak Creek, that's right. Freak Parade is my revival of the Utopia Band. There's an album available at Freak Parade at my site, too. You know? okay. Well, I had it back together with Kevin Elman. And we and even Chasm came and did a few gigs with us. You know, oh, that was fun. What about Kilpatrick's defeat? What about it? What would you like to know? Somebody wanted to know about that. I'm just. The That's just a good song. I wrote that a long, long time ago, and it was on one of my albums. It was also done on Free Creek, and it's a nice thing. Hold me and love me and whisper my name. In fact, when I was in Crosby, Stills, and Nash for a brief period. Uh, Stephen Stills was going to have Graham Nash sing Kilpatrick's Defeat of All Things. He really loved that song. Now, I think the reason they replaced me with Neil Young is because it would have been Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Klingman, mm-hmm. and that would have sounded like a law firm. Hmm. <laughs> so I, one day I showed up at rehearsal, and there was Neil Young at the organ. Hmm. So if you were to get back with Utopia... I'm going to ask yeah. you one more question. Uh, All right. I'll let you All run. Right. I know you got your, your kid wanting you to read stories. you got well, things to do. Now. What is, go ahead. If, if Utopia gets back together, what song most would you like to play, and can you give us a little taste of it? Uh, let me see. Well, I like to play the Utopia theme. It's a lot of fun. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you can't I like Pink Parade is nice. Yeah. The Icon is a nice 30-minute song. I wouldn't mind playing that. Yeah? Yeah. Excellent. Good stuff. If Utopia gets back together, they got to do the full 30-minute version of the Icon. There's no question. No question about it. Wouldn't that be something? You're getting everybody excited. I can tell you that. Everybody listening knows just, you know, they want to see that. So. Well, if you're in the Tri-State, try to make it to my gig Friday, December 7th. The Triad Theater, you can find out all about it at moogiemusic.com. You can also hear a lot of my new material there. Manhattan, Triad Theater, December the 7th for the Pearl Harbor Show. War songs, anti-war songs. I'm sure it'll be a blast. Excellent. Moogie, we really appreciate you being on. I will put all right, it's been a blast. Your, you find some of my music and you play it. If you need me to send you some CDs, just email me your address and I'll send you some we'll, CDs. We'll definitely do that. We'll play some okay. on uh, one of the upcoming Okay, shows. and I'll send you some of my newer CDs and you can slip them into your Rundgren playlist somewhere. Hey, huh? we'd love to do that, man. We'd love to promote okay. stuff and promote music. And I'll put your link on the site. If people don't understand what we're saying or forget, go to RundgrenRadio.com and you will find MoogieMusic.com link on there. Thank and you. check out his CDs and be looking out. We're going to be checking the site now looking for the stuff you're promising. All right, my friends. All right, buddy. Thanks for calling us, and we appreciate right. it. You'll see me in my World War II regalia. <laughs> I've seen some of the pictures. With a lot of shots of me <laughs> somehow appearing in World War II battle scenes. I don't know how that happened, but you check it out. It's at my website. It's some great pictures, man. I know everybody's checking okay. that out already probably. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks I'll, a lot. Okay, everybody. We're going to try to do again... A live recorded, no, not recorded, a live show from the Dallas concert. And uh-huh. getting close to pulling this off. So if you oh, want. When's that? That is December the 2nd. It's this Sunday. We won't be doing okay. a lot of the music. I'm going to try to get in a song or two. But, uh, okay, well, I'll MP3 you some of my songs. How about that? Yeah, I definitely would like that. Because you got to play some of my material when I'm doing the interview. You just got to do it. We will you definitely mind, do it. I would love to do that. All right. So I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Email me about all the details of the next show. We'll do it. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was the Moogster. We still have a few minutes left, and I have some requests to play some music, which I would love to play some Moogie's music, but uh, he was supposed to send that to me and did not, but that's all right. That's how it happens sometimes, and I have to upload songs previous before shows, but we'll play some of that on another show. And I want to keep telling you to check us out Sunday. If we pull this off, it is going to be a blast. You will get to hear from all the people at the show, and there's going to be a lot of us there. You'll get to hear from people that I don't know because I will make them get on if I can, things like that. I hope that your questions were answered and that you enjoyed this show with Moogie. And if you want to call in and make some requests, give it up right now before I start playing a song so that you can get your request in. And if I have it, I'll play it. And, of course, I'm sorry we didn't have a bio break, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. You can't do it all. I'm going to start off, actually, I'm going to go ahead and play a song. I've done this before on here. But I want to play Hello, It's Me because this one has a quick interview on it where Todd discusses this half-step issue that I like talking about just because I'm curious like that. So we'll start with that. If you got something you want to hear, give me a call. We'll stick around for a few more minutes and play something that you want to hear. Here we go. One of the songs that you revisited from the Nas days 
which we referred to at the uh, top of the program as maybe being more of the curse than the blessing, uh-huh. was uh, "Hello, it's me." Exactly. And uh, for me, you know, the curse, cursed part is that I have, I have to play it. I have to play one of my hits in any particular show, and if I don't play that, I usually get, "Why didn't you play Hello, it's me?" So. I've had to learn how to play it, but it's the most difficult song for me for some reason, just, you know, to get through the whole thing. For one thing, it's got a half-step modulation in it, and I'm not a piano player, so when I suddenly go from the white keys to the black keys, I'm really lost. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's followed me around for, you know, a good long time, and I imagine that it'll be played at my funeral. I, uh, I wish I could be above the fray. And uh, not give in to the temptation. But would you do that one for us? Oh, certainly. Okay. <laughs> Hello, it's me. I've thought about us for a long time. Maybe I think too much, but something's wrong. There's something here that doesn't last too long. Maybe I shouldn't think of you as Spend the night 
And that's the uh, current version of Hello, It's Me, a song that has uh, followed him throughout his career, both in the... In the I like the Naz version, too, which was a little... Uh, it's uh, dirge-like. dirge-like. Yeah. But, I, I, I still but it was like based the, more around the, uh, vi- the vibes, were kind of like the whole sound was, yeah. was actually, uh, for some reason, I heard it on vibes, so learn how to play it on vibes. Hi, this is Wendy. I'm one of the cooks from the Tribute Cookbook, Give Them Love, Give Them Bread, which is available at trcookbook.com. For now, enjoy listening to Rundgren Radio. Why has Todd not been to Texas in a while? When we know there's a big fan base there, and there's a lot of people, obviously, it's a very big state. Uh-huh. What's the story with that? It actually uh, has to do with promoters. It's not our decision where we tour. It has to do with when when Todd's ready to tour, he calls Eric, his manager, who calls the agent, and the agent makes calls out to the U.S., to different areas, and... It, some club owners or promoters will say yes, and some will say no. So really the only way to get him to your area is to have a promoter or a club owner, usually it's a promoter, um, to have the fans say we want him here and here's how many people want him. All right, how about that? Todd will be in Texas December 2nd, December 4th. Austin, December 2nd. Dallas, you don't want to miss it. Since Moogie and I discussed happy anniversary from Liars, and Dustin29 would like to hear a little Liars, here we go. Maybe not. I thought we were going to. Here we go. We'll try that one again in a minute. If anybody else has any requests, give us a call, and we will try to play something for you so that we can keep going, because I know some of you are still out there wanting to hear something. So I am going to play you something. Hey, I know you all got some serious partying to do, so I don't want to keep you too long. You dig what I'm coming from? There you go. We don't want to keep you too long. Let's try this again see what happens. Little happy anniversary. It's probably just not uploaded yet, so 
I'm going to tell you why I believe that Todd would not be hurting, of course, really, it's Utopia more with a little keyboard action. So I'm going to agree with Moogie a little bit on that because I would love, absolutely love, to hear this. Listen to all the keyboard action in this version of Utopia's Sons of 
surfing the web, and I caught the end of Moogie. Very good. You can always listen to Archive to hear the whole thing if you'd like. Yeah, uh, you mentioned about the Sunday show in Dallas. Yes. What, what time does that come off so I can listen? Well, we're going. I believe I'm going to go ahead and try to start it at seven o'clock. Okay. P.M. That's that's Central Time. So Eastern Time that would be eight o'clock. The show's supposed to start at seven thirty Central Time, but you know they don't. They usually don't start on time. But just in case they do, I'd like to start at seven because I do want to talk to some fans and I do want to review the merchandise counter and uh, you know maybe chase some interviews and maybe get in a couple songs. If I do get in some songs, it'll be Buffalo Grass and Hate My Freaking ISP if all goes as planned according to what the set list is supposed to be from what we were told. So you might get to hear a little taste of that. And the sound should be very good. We have some uh, goods from loudandclean.com, Grady Moat site, and it really sounds good from what I can tell. We talked on the phone and went over it some, and it really sounded good. So it'll be, it's kind of an experiment. You know, I may get in there and find out that the cell coverage is bad, but I haven't been to a show yet where that's been the case. So I think this uh, may work. Well, sounds neat. So check it out. Where are you from? Um, up, up in Ohio, near Youngstown. Okay. I'm going to see them at uh, the Rex in Pittsburgh. Is that right? On the seventh. Yeah. How'd you find out about that show? Uh, I th- well, I think I saw it on a TR connection. Okay. So are you a regular over there? Once in a while, I I stop yeah. and look. It's about the only place you can find really good information. Yeah, he's got a ton of information on there. No question yeah. about it. So. The most definitive Todd site, according yeah. to TR Lincoln Log. Hey, what? Um, can you shoot me an email? At Rungren Radio at Earthlink.net. Okay. I would like to, uh, if you don't mind, send you some Rungren Radio stuff to have over there at that show. I don't know anybody's going to that show except for you now. <laughs> so I've got people Radio. helping me out in Virginia, New York, Dallas, New Orleans, and Austin. Okay. So you can help me out. Just you know, just some Rungren Radio business cards help us get some more listeners. Okay, Rungren Radio at Earthlink.net. Earthlink. Okay. Yeah. Now, what uh, what type of Todd music do you like? Um, my favorite's a cappella tour. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of Utopia shows. Um, Everybody like seems that. to like the Utopia show with the big pyramid and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's your I favorite. Oh well, yeah, I saw him at the Coliseum in Richfield. Uh huh. That's south of Cleveland. Okay. He played there on New Year's Eve. I think I, more than once. Cleveland is supposed to be a hotbed for Todd fans. Would you agree with that? I mean, is that oh, pretty- yeah, I do. I, I agree with that. All the shows usually sell out in Cleveland. But you got any idea why that is? Uh, not really. <laughs> it's hard to say, you know. Yeah. I'm curious, seen, maybe. Yeah, I've, I've seen them at quite a few places, and it, he, he seems to always draw a good crowd. So. Yeah, what do you like about that tour? Uh, which one now? Acapella, you said, was your favorite. Acapella. I saw him in the round uh, and on a stage that rotated mm-hmm. in the round. And, is that, are you talking about West, where, now where are you talking about, where is this? That was in Cleveland, it used to be on Mayfield Road, it was uh, the Carousel huh. Theater, uh-huh. and the stage rotated, and it was cool. really a cool concert, I I really enjoyed that. I, being sitting close, and uh, the stage rotating, and you know, just the, <laughs> That's pretty neat. There's one in Westbury, experience. New York, where the new cars played this year. I was curious to how that went. And yeah. I would like to see that. That's kind of different. And now, what do, you, do you know about the set list for this show? 
Uh, very little. Very little. Well, if you want to look, uh, there's lots of it on the concert tour information on trconnection.com. Uh, it was Michael Urbano told us it was similar to the Portland, Oregon show, I believe he said. And mm-hmm. so that means it's going to be, let's see if I can tell you off the top of my head. you got Buffalo Grass, Hate My Freaking ISP, Black Mariah, Soul Brother, let's see, I think Mammon, Fascist Christ, uh Black and White, Drive, Number One Lowest Common Denominator, I Saw the Light, Lunatic Fringe Cover, um, When the Walls Came Down by the Wall, there's a cover, One World, Hawking, and Worldwide Epiphany. I may have missed one or two, but I think that's pretty much it. Does that sound like something you're going to like? Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of shows of his. The last show in Pittsburgh I saw was The Liars. Okay, that was a good show, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him at the Rex too. So that was that was a really good show. So how many shows do you think you've seen? Oh, I, I stopped <laughs> counting way back. Really, that many? Yeah. yeah. And your favorite was was acapella. That's interesting. Yeah. I, well, I think it was just because I sat really close and it was in the round, and I really enjoyed the show. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you, you should check out our archives. We got Mary Lou Arnold talking about that show a lot. You know, she was okay. involved in that, singing in a little bit, talking yeah. to production managers. Yeah. That was a great yeah. show, and. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Urbano, the drummer for the show you're going to see, was on a, um, last week, I believe it was, or a couple of weeks ago, and he was really good, and uh, it was two weeks ago. And he was talking a lot about this upcoming show, so you might want to check that one out as well. Okay, but, very uh, good. And if anybody out there is listening, you know, going to the Pittsburgh show. All right. Now you know somebody else going. All right, very good. Hey, man, thanks a lot, and be checking us out Sunday. Hopefully all goes as planned. Very good. We'll see you. Okay, right. see you. Thanks right. for calling. All right, bye. All right, folks, that's a wrap. We've got two minutes left. I'm going to play Happy Anniversary for you. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you hopefully on Sunday. Check us out live from Dallas if all goes as planned. Can't get any better than that. See you. Well, I promise you the whole song, but that was a clip that I had made for the Michelle show. So that wasn't very bright, was it? I guess we'll have to move on. We're going to play a song for my friends at trcookbook.com. And that's how we're going to wrap this show up. So enjoy this one. Hopefully we'll you'll hear from us on Sunday. Sleeping at night in a
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.